or open the Bible that's in front of you, that blue ESV, and go to Psalm 4. As you know, some of you know, we are working through some of the Psalms in the summer, having Summer in the Psalms as the series. So we have Psalm 4 tonight, and then next evening worship, we will have Psalm 5, and that'll cap out our Summer in the Psalms for this year. Before we hear God's Word read, let us go to Him again in prayer, asking for His assistance. Our God, we, we call upon Your name again. We pray that You would answer when we call upon this great name, that You would hear our call, and that You would illumine our minds. Help us, Lord, to understand this text what this text means and how it is to be applied, and we pray that we would live in a manner befitting the passage here, seeing Christ in this psalm and following after him. Amen. Hear now the word of God. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they, than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Even though opposites are said to attract, some things just don't seem to go together. But the food industry is set on proving the combination of vastly different foods. Some people will swear by odd combinations like cottage cheese and mayonnaise, or popcorn and hot sauce, or pickles in in orange juice, tuna fish in spaghetti with marinara sauce, or committed a no-no in the South, grits and maple syrup. These and others sound like impossible matches, unless, of course, you're pregnant, then it's all fair game. When it comes to the topics of anger on the one hand and peace on the other, Christians might be as skeptical as the next guy who is repulsed by the very idea of putting mayonnaise on a hot dog. People would say, there's no such thing as good anger. If you are angry, you cannot be at peace. The two are diametrically opposed to one another. Perhaps the skeptic can rise to the challenge to see if anger can be righteous and if peace can exist harmoniously with anger. This psalm does put before us two seemingly contradictory states. We have, again, on the one hand, anger, and then on the other, peace or joy. And as a child who is forced to try a new food, but who instantly loves it, 
Let's taste this compatibility, indeed this harmony among apparent differences between anger and sleep, or anger and peace, anger and joy, anger and trust. This situation in Psalm 4 is the same situation as it was in Psalm 3. You recall that David was fleeing from his son Absalom. And Psalm 3 was his morning prayer. And Psalm 4 now becomes his evening prayer. As the day is closing, he, is, he pens this psalm. Resting in the Lord, God's people admonish evil and adore the Lord. Read again with me verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. If you've ever been the one making a phone call, you've experienced the urgency for the one that you're calling to pick up the phone. You might even say, even even yell as the phone is ringing, pick up, pick up, pick up, until they pick up. The husband who has been sent by his dear wife on that perilous journey to the grocery store may have found himself off the beaten path, entirely clueless as to which aisle he needs to be in. The poor soul's only source of hope is his wife's voice of wisdom. Honey, it's aisle four, not aisle 18. Where'd you go? This man calls, and while the phone is ringing, he's uttering to himself, pick up, please. Please pick up. I know this from personal experience. He doesn't know if his wife will pick up the phone. After all, she has many responsibilities herself. There was a reason you went to the store, and and she didn't. Oh, what a relief it is when she does pick up. Oh, but the despair when she doesn't. He'll have to come home with something less than ideal, and the family will be the worse for it. At other times, we truly do need someone to pick up the phone at that first ring. Thinking back on a time when my wife was in a very severe car accident, I immediately called my family. Of course, they they were busy and they have their own tasks, and to be sure, if they knew why I, was, why I was calling, they would have picked up the phone right away. They would have dropped everything. Quick to panic, I depended on their answering my phone call right away, and despair began to set in when they didn't answer. Am I doing this all by myself? I wondered. Will I have any help? As we saw, King David was in great distress because of the traitor's actions of his own son. He is depending here on the Lord's listening ear for the grace that comes from the God of seeing. In Psalm 3, he was pleading with the Lord, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, because his enemies were more than nipping at his heels. And you recall from Psalm 3 that he was asking that the Lord make the teeth of the wicked nip no more. This urgent plea this most immediate cry of his heart, is not a cry of a demand, like a parent who says to his silent son who owes dad an answer, boy, you better answer me right now. That's not how David is is approaching the throne of grace. This plea instead is, is a cry from faith with full confidence that the Lord is the righteous God who answers his righteous ones, those that he has set apart for himself. Verse 3, the godly that he has set apart for himself. This is a plea from from the son to his father, dad. 
You are my dad. I need an answer. Answer me now. That is how David is coming to his Lord. Dear ones, we are wise to cry, just please, and to know with confidence that they will be heard. We should pray just prayers. I don't mean we should pray only prayers. I mean we should pray prayers that highlight, that cry out for the justice of God. And to do so, we follow Christ's example. David knew that it was just, it was righteous to pray for his vindication, for his enemies, for God's enemies to be defeated as they raged against the Lord's anointed on earth. It takes faith and knowledge according to God's word to ask God to execute justice on your behalf because it is a confident posture that you have lined up with with the will of God. It really does take an understanding of God's word to say, yes, God is on my side, or rather I am on his side. Of course, every single time we are angry, we say, well, I'm, I'm righteously angry. God is angry. He's just as angry, if not more, than I am right now. Very rarely will we say, yeah, that was unrighteous anger, at least initially. It takes knowing God's word, why God gets angry. It takes that kind of understanding, that kind of confidence to say, yes, I am righteously angry in this moment, and God is as well. Now, we cannot be so aligned without participation in the Christ, in the Lord's anointed. We can never say that we are on God's side or that God is on our side as far as our anger is concerned if we are outside of Christ. If we are not by faith, by grace, in union with Jesus, never is our anger righteous. Never. We're always with, with no mixture of any bit of righteousness, we are always sinfully angry. As our hearts are always disinclined from the Lord. Never lined up with God's counsel. Never lined up with God's wisdom. Origen says, the one who calls on the Lord must have true righteousness. Since Christ is righteous, the just person, the partaker of righteousness, must be a partaker of Christ. Now, one prayer for justice that we can always pray with full confidence is the prayer we, we see or the, is following what John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There you have it. You have it in the Word of God that every single time you confess rightly, you confess with faith, your sins, they are forgiven and you have a twofold basis. The faithfulness of God, he, he keeps his promises. And the justice of God. Because that sin was dealt with on the cross. You can always pray that prayer. And you should always pray that prayer. Since we do sin every single day. You can pray also the prayer that our Lord has taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer is one that he wants us to pray. And after 
this summer in the Psalms, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, taking each petition each Lord's Day evening. So we pray just prayers. We pray according to the will of God. Again, to do so, we follow Christ's example. We scour the Scriptures for the promises of God, and then we bank on them. We, we hold on to the promises. We, we see, yes, this verse applies to me in my situation, and I'm never going to let it go. I depend upon the promise of God. I depend upon the Word of God. We must search the Scriptures for those promises. Let us then humbly search the Word, to know the Lord's Word, to know it well, lest we claim promises or utter prayers that the Lord does not promise to answer. Not every prayer you utter is a prayer of faith. And every prayer we utter will be heard. Even Peter warns the Christians that if their behavior is out of line with the word of God, then their prayers will be hindered. If they mistreat their wives, they should not expect to hear an answer from the Lord, except one of divine chastening. We must study the word of God that we don't take his word out of context. We don't misapply his word. We do not pray with a firm assurance that the Lord will remove our cancer. Oh, can we pray that the Lord will remove our cancer? Absolutely. Oh, Lord, if it be your will, remove this cancer. But we cannot pray, Lord, I know it's your will that this cancer, is, this cancer will go away. We cannot pray that. Too many good things God has done with people with cancer. We do not pray with certainty that the Lord will strike down our godless boss. How do you know? Maybe maybe the Lord will use you as an instrument in his hand that that boss will see his or her sin and confess his or her sin and confess the name of Christ. How do you know you don't have that influence? And even if you didn't, the Lord can certainly work in your life to make a better atmosphere and work. To have a good relationship with someone who's not a believer. We pray for healing according to God's will. We cry out for justice at his timing. Let us not presume upon God's will, but still seek his face with faith according to knowledge. As James tells us, we say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We'll spend a year over there and purchase that, if the Lord wills. Lady Jane Grey didn't know whether it was God's will for her to be the queen when she thought her sister Mary was the rightful heir. But after hearing, hearing maybe murmurs of your majesty at her direction, she humbly cried to the Lord, The crown is not my right and pleaseth me not. But later accepted after praying for divine help, O oh Lord, give me such spirit and grace that I might govern to thy glory and service and to the advantage of the realm. Nevertheless, she submitted to being the queen, though it was shortly taken away from her, and she was executed after having 
stayed true to the faith and having refused to convert to Roman Catholicism. But her posture was to, as I've said before, roll with the providential punches, to to see how the Lord's will unfolds, to submit to it. As you pray just prayers, as you pray according to the will of God, you will be heard. And so you can pray with confidence. You do not go to the ER room spilling blood only for them to tell you to come back another day. Hopefully not anyways. You don't run to your city's gates only for the guards to turn you away. Sorry, your city is closed today. The victim of a crime does not come to a just judge, I emphasize just, only to have her case thrown out. No. As you lie on the operating table, the good physician will provide you with perfect care, precise procedure. As you claim your heavenly citizenship, the king will hear your calls. The gates are forever open. As you plead your case on the merits of the righteousness of Christ, the judge hears you. He hears your just pleas. John Calvin, when he was writing to some of the persecuted in France, he called them to persevere in prayer with Scripture. And he says, Let this single consideration suffice you, that you have the assurance that God approves of your labor, when you declare a truceless war against those abominations which militate against his worship and honor. There were men and women who were being persecuted because they said no to papal abuses, which Calvin calls abominations. And Calvin is assuring them that God is approving this labor because they have waged war, a truceless war, a refusal to acquiesce to abominations. But that, did that stop the persecution? No. Their commitment fueled the continuing persecution. Nevertheless, God approves of their work. And so they can pray with confidence that the Lord would sustain them, even as they were being persecuted. We read in verse 2, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? And so after a word of prayer to the Lord, David now has a word to men. This first word here is a word for men of rank. He's referring to his opponents. We know this because we know that he's speaking to hostile men because he is referring to their boldness to turn his honor into shame. His own men would not do that. They are committed to vain deceit, vain words, seeking after lies. He admonishes the men set out against him, just as he had done in Psalm 2. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you, and you perish in the way. As the king, David deserved the honor due his office. And these men dared to take that honor away by expelling him, by having him murdered. They loved the lies that they told themselves. They ate up all those lies that Absalom was feeding them. Down with David. Oh, David's not my king anymore. It's time for a change, time for a man of action. David's too old, too foolish. It's time for a new king, king's son, Absalom. 
And David's cautioning them. How long will you love vain words? How long will you turn my honor into shame? Be warned. This path only leads to destruction. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Know, O men, that when I call to the Lord, he hears me. When I call upon the name of God, he hears my just pleas, and he will answer me. He's not answering your prayers because you oppose God by opposing me. That's what he's saying here. As David speaks against these soldiers, he was reminding them of what we just considered, the confidence that resides in resting in the Lord who is judge. To set yourself against David is to identify with the ungodly, to identify with those that God has not devoted for himself, to identify with, with those whom God will drive away like the wind drives away the chaff. To cast aside David is to cast your lap, is to cast your lot rather in the lap of the Lord, who will direct your destination to the deepest parts of Sheol, where there is only weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see the Lord's commitment to his people here? And even David's loving admonition to the enemy. There is still time. If you would just heed this warning, there is still time to repent. There is still time to turn away from this godless behavior. And he is then following after the ways of his greater son, the Lord, his king, the Christ. In Luke 13, Jesus says, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all, other, all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The most important thing for every creature made in the image of God is repentance unto life, that they might worship God forevermore. Through David, and through the greater son of David, our Lord, we then call, we see this call to repent. At the same time, we, we have to offer the deference due the offices. For by doing so, we honor the king over all. We should be very careful about how we speak about the authorities who have been given over us. We should be very careful how we speak about our dads and our moms. We should be very careful how we speak about our elders should be very careful about how we speak about our bosses, about our presidents, about our governing officials. We would do well to think before we speak about them. Paul tells us, for instance, not to be quick to bring a charge against an elder, but only when two or three witnesses can be brought forward. The church would do well to heed the warning not to come hastily up against those who are put in spiritual authority over them. Absalom stretched out his hand against the Lord's anointed. Many years earlier, Miriam and Aaron did the same to Moses. And sometimes people, with their gossip, with their groundless accounts, hearing only one side of the story, they will brazenly turn the honor given these men into shame. Of course, no human authority is perfect. And there are proper channels that we've been given to follow if we have complaints with one another. In, uh, referring to the, the, the passage that 
uh, has Paul saying we should not be quick to, to bring a charge against an elder. He doesn't say don't, don't bring any charge against an elder. He says just, just think about it. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. And as we know, the Lord has given us many passages to, to contemplate and to follow as we consider bringing charges, complaints, offenses, Matthew 18 being perhaps chief among them. But it, it would have been wrong for the reformers to be silent on the Pope and his system of irreligion. Thanks be to God for a Martin Luther, for a John Calvin, a William Farrell, a Veray, a John Knox, and many others. Thanks be to God for their opposition to godless rule. But at the same time, woe to those who foolishly and passionately turn others against the men that God has called. We would do well to heed this warning. This admonition, indeed, this warning is not complete because David now has some words for his alliances, men who are fully on board with the Lord, men who are fully on board with David as the Lord's anointed. We see in verse 4 this admonition, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Now their position, the position of David's alliances, resonates with many of us. In David's admonition, or his word to his allies, he acknowledges them to be on his side. They've taken up David's cause, and they are offended for him. After all, they have fled Jerusalem with him. They're on his side. They're going to stick with him to the end. And of course, they're wondering at this time, as again, Absalom and his army is coming, it's approaching, fast approaching. David, what do we do? This attitude is understandable. We don't struggle to put on these shoes and, and walk in them. When we zealously support our parents, pastors, our, our friends, our governing officials, we, we might begin to feel the heat under the collar when we hear anyone speaking anything against them. We say, what are we going to do? Do you want me to take him down? No one will know. We got it covered. But David was right to respond, calm down, tigers. Appreciate the passion, but consider your heart. Inquire into the motives of this anger of yours. This word of warning is needed for us, isn't it? Not just in David's day, but in Paul's day as well. In Ephesians 4.26, which you read, Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Paul saw immediate relevance of this verse to the Ephesians. In the evening psalm, David encourages his allies to deal with their anger before the sun goes down. Likewise, Paul, in handling relational conflict, encourages the Ephesians to handle speedily the issues that threaten their relationships and whatever anger they might feel towards their brothers and sisters. After all, James tells us in chapter 1, verse 20, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And we're too often unrighteously angry, more than righteously angry. But anger in itself is not sinful. We must be assured of that. 
And if we say that it is, if we say that it's always, without exception, sinful, then we are rendering a guilty verdict on God. In God's case, who the psalmist in Psalm 711 says, is angry all the time. It's a powerful passage we'll have to look at next year. Angry all the time. Why would he be angry all the time? Because sinners abound. Sinners are going to sin. And he is too holy to tolerate sin. And always, his anger is just. There's no mixture of flying off the seat, the handle there. There's, 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 there's no mixture of any kind of unrighteousness and righteousness in God's anger. But anger is a good gift from God. It is an affection. It is an energy used to solve problems. We should thank God for anger. It is what God uses to handle conflict. But we are quick to attack with anger. Again, quick to claim God to be on our side. And David is saying, let's not lash out in anger here. Let's not worsen the situation by returning evil with evil. Do not hastily take matters in your own hands, but ponder in your hearts. And be silent for a second. Just chill, just pause. Examine why you are angry. Of course, the same goes for any other emotion. Why are you panicking? Why are you so worried? Why are you so afraid? All of these emotions are God-given, and they all speak of what we treasure, what views we have, what expectations we have of God and of ourselves and of others. We would do well to be silent, to ponder why we are so angry. Two wrongs do not make a righteous way of living. Restraint is needed, and we must always trust in the Lord. And as the wicked lie in their beds scheming, let us instead be satisfied by God's just plan. Our Lord reminds us not to take vengeance into our own hands, but to love others by using the proper channels for solving problems, for addressing sin. Anger is used, it ought to be used to attack not the person, but the problem. Say, here is something that stands between you and me. But it will not stand for much longer. It will be addressed. That our relationship might be restored. That we might grow in greater unity. Peace with one another. Verse 5, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Rather than flying off the handle, let the smoke of sacrifices Instead, fly heavenward. We entrust our just cause to the Lord and we give our lives as sacrifices, as expressions of trust. And you might not be surrounded by enemies with swords. Clearly you're not. No spears, no clubs are are aimed at your direction. But you have enemies still. You have your own sinful heart. You have the enemies in the world. You have the enemy. 
you have Satan, who is your greatest adversary, and he is hounding you, and he is looking for every opportunity to attack you. That's why Paul will say in the same, in just the next verse, it says in Ephesians 4, it says, do not let the devil get a foothold. How do we avoid that? By using anger rightly to solve relational conflict. Oh, the devil loves division, doesn't he? The devil loves to, if he can't de-save you, if you will, if he can't deconvert you, he wants to mess with all of your relationships with one another and, of course, your relationship with the Lord as much as he can. He wants, you to, he wants to bring you to, he wants you to, I guess if, if he can't get you out of heaven, he wants you to get there full of sadness. Super weak. Defeated. And so we can, by faith, attack the devil. We come up against him by handling our conflict rightly by freely forgiving one another, by confessing our sins with one another, by trusting in the Lord. In all your anger, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Do not ignore the problem, but deal with it. Do not ignore the anger, examine it, and use it if it is motivated by a love for Christ, If it is motivated by an opposition to sin, if it is motivated by the other fruits of the Spirit, if you're angry at something that God would be angry about, then use that anger well. Do not neglect the distance that exists between you and that person, whoever he is, whoever she is. Do not neglect the unaddressed sin of your child or the sinful grumblings of your own heart that would steer you away from God. Do not let those fester. Address them. Do what you can. Do it in a way that honors the Lord. And then leave the matter to the Lord. As far as it is possible with you, be at peace with everyone. We trust in the Lord as an act of adoration which verses 6 through 8 speak of. Expression of worship. We lift up the matter of conflict to the Lord. We call upon His name. We call upon Him to lift up the light of His face upon us, to deliver us, to make His face shine upon us, and to save us. There's no greater illustration or image of worship than that of of rest, of, of dwelling in safety. What is worship but a whole person adoration and trust in our Deliverer, in the only Redeemer of God's elect, Jesus Christ? He's running into his arms when he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Fall into his arms. Rest in him and worship him. David's posture in Psalm 3 I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. This posture is made possible only because of chapter of Psalm 4, 8. That you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. If there's no Lord, 
then there is restless sleep. There's no sleep at all. Oh, but with the Lord, there is safety. With the Lord, we can lie down, or rather, be made to lie down. The Lord Jesus led the way by sleeping in a boat when the storm was raging around him. His was a posture of utter faith, of full trust in God. The son had fullness of joy in his heart, with no reason to distrust his father. This joy of the Lord can be our strength as well, yes, even in the face of great trial. David wasn't deluded or delighted by his son's betrayal and murderous pursuit, but he was still joyful because God had put that joy in his heart. And more joy than what can be had through acquiring an abundance of grain and wine. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. How can he say this when his son is hounding him? Because his rest is not in his relationship with his son. His rest is in the son, his Lord. There is then, dear ones, for us the call to be joyful in whatever affliction. There is more joy in a drop of God's grace than in an ocean of money. Let us then seek this grace and seek it daily. In his confession, St. Augustine reflects on the soul-changing effect that Psalm 4 had on him. You could say that this was his passage that God used to convert his soul. He too had his enemies. He too was formally deceived. He too trembled before God. He sought the God of his righteousness, and he pled for a gracious ear, and he was heard. When he came to verse 4, he was moved, and he learned that now he can be angry with himself. There's a lot of talk today about being angry at yourself. I'm so mad at myself. How could have I made such a mistake? But this is the kind of self-anger that is, that is good, is righteous. Anger at ourselves for our sins. With new eyes, he sees his sins and he hates them. And he has just a bit of that divinely righteous anger that is now directed at his own sinful heart, which leads to confession. These are called his confessions, after all. Confession of his sin and trust in the Lord. He then was able to steal his heart to pursue righteousness. It was only when, by grace, Augustine began to offer his sacrifice, slay his old man, that the Lord began to grow sweet Unto him. The Lord began to give gladness in Augustine's heart. It is only, dear ones, when sin is dealt with, wherever it is found, that we can have peace, joy, true rest of body and soul, and a lifetime of worshiping the Lord, whose divine anger made an end of all our sin. Let's pray. Our gracious God, 
We thank you for listening to our cries that your word would be used to enlighten our eyes. We trust that your spirit will continue to do the work that he has begun, that we would, even this evening, this week, be transformed little by little, that we would grow more and more like Jesus, that we would exhibit anger more and more righteously, that we would avoid unrighteous anger, that we would confess of it when, when we see it, and that we would always entrust our just causes to you, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.